The Black Doctors Podcast highlights the stories of minority professionals with the goal of inspiring others. Season 2 provides more episodes and features a wider variety of professions. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and share with others, because the next generation can't be what they don't see. Tune in every Monday to hear our stories told by us. Hello and welcome back to the Black Doctors Podcast. This week I'm privileged to be hosting Dr. Chichi Opalake. She is a family medicine physician and she is currently practicing in Florida. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. So we first met back in 2010. We were both studying at the University of South Florida, completing a master's program as we were applying to medical school. Yep. Those were the times. Well, a lot has definitely changed in the last 10 years. You're currently a family medicine physician. Can you tell us about your current job and what a typical day is like for you? So I'm currently in the Tampa Bay area and I did finish residency as a family med um, physician, but I currently work full-time as a hospitalist. So I work a schedule of seven days straight and then seven days off. And that has been my schedule for like the last two years. I work full-time as a hospitalist. Um, typical day, it's changing now because of the lovely pandemic. So it used to be a little bit, you know, calm, <laughs> but nowadays it has been understandably a little bit stressful and hectic, um, but we've gotten to the routine where we're kind of used to what we're dealing with. Um, it's been a just an interesting ride of understanding a, typ- a typical COVID patient when they come in because they're presenting in so many different ways. And we're learning different ways to treat them. So now my days are researching, reading, and treating appropriately of what's up to date. So it's kind of interesting. I'm, I'm loving the experience. I'm loving the challenge of a hospitalist position. So, I, I mean, right now I'm just enjoying this ride, even though it is demanding. But I'm well, loving it. thank you it. so much, of course, for everything you're doing on the front lines of this COVID-19 pandemic. Your patients are definitely lucky to have you. What is uh, your typical schedule like as a hospitalist? So our schedule is typically 6 to 6, 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. It's a 12-hour shift. Um, Normally, we, um, you know, pretty much entering pages from the nurses from that 12-hour shift. And during that shift, what's the typical census like for you? How many patients are you responsible for? So on average, it can range from 15 to 17 especially during this pandemic, that's been our, our normal range. In a, it, you know, a very busy time, you know, you see more, but we try to keep that range 15 to 17. So a hospitalist is full-time in the hospital during the day. And during that hour shift, those hourly shifts of six to six, we um, rotate admissions. So when the ER doctor needs to admit a patient to the hospital, they would give us a call and we put in orders, we admit them and we take care of them throughout their stay in the hospital. And we are responsible with consulting physicians, outside physicians, whether that's cardiologists, radiologists, whatever they need in order to take care of that patient. And then when they are stable and cleared, we are responsible with discharging them back home or whether to rehab or some type of facility, whatever is appropriate for that patient. And what do you absolutely love about being a hospitalist? I would say the number one thing that I love would be the challenge and the fast pace of things. I I really do enjoy kind of not really knowing what's going on and then trying to find it out. 
And then also the other spectrum is knowing exactly what's happening because you've seen it and you know exactly how to treat it. And it's just exciting. It's, um, it's, it's just a adrenaline rush in a sense. And then seeing that patient recover or get better after the therapy that I, you know, treated them with, it, it's all of that. I just love seeing that progress and seeing them get back to where they were before and they got And if there's in. anything that you would change about your job, what would it be? Anything I can change. I hope my job doesn't hear this, but I'm just joking. Um, nothing. Honestly, there's nothing really I would say I, I would change um, because I feel like the my job, the patients may, are mainly controlling it. And I can't control my patients in a sense. I can't change them. They're going to be who they are. So if anything, you know, I am just understanding how to deal with those changes that come and go with patients and the hospital policies and COVID-19. Um, so I wouldn't really necessarily change anything because, again, I love the challenge. So that's kind of goes apart, goes apart with everything that that I enjoy. So how did you decide between the typical outpatient family medicine clinic type of work versus mm-hmm. the hospitalist work? I know in, in medical school, I don't think I fully realized that there is this option for practice model as a family medicine physician. Yeah. Uh, so when I was in residency, we do that training. Like you said, we definitely get the OB, the pregnant patients. We get the newborns. We take care of elderly we get the whole spectrum of patients, patient care, and we mainly see them in the clinic. But during training, you also have to be well-rounded, which that includes understanding how the hospital system works and how to treat patients in the hospital. So while I was in training, I realized pretty quickly that I was finding more enjoyment while being in the hospital. I was enjoying that passion and the fast pace, and I realized I was good at it. And I didn't, you know, it, honestly, I really wanted to do the reason why I got into family medicine because I wanted to do sports medicine. I am a former athlete and I just always was like sports, sports, sports. But then when I was actually in the clinics and doing the knee injections and things like that, I was like, um, maybe this isn't for me. You know, I had to get that trial run. And now that I don't like being in the clinic, I just enjoyed being in the hospital a little bit more at that time. So I wanted to, I still had to get out of my system. I couldn't go for me. I just couldn't go directly from residency into the clinic. I still had some drive in the hospital. Now in the future, I may decide to go back to the clinic and do the follow-ups with patients, which I still love and it may still happen. But right now, you know, I'm just enjoying the inpatient life. So it is possible to be a family medicine doctor and have that transition to the hospital, although it doesn't happen as often, but you know, I enjoy it. That's uh, such great information. And I'm so glad you've shared that with our listeners. They know that they can have this variety of practice within that field of family medicine. Mm-hmm. So Dr. Chi, right. you were an all-star athlete. You were a starting player on the university of South Florida basketball team. How did that come to be? How did you balance life as a student athlete going through college and applying to medical school? So I am from the Tampa Bay area um, and I went to high school in Tampa. And when I was playing, I I started basketball league. I didn't start playing basketball until I got to high school. And that's 
pretty much a late bloomer. Yeah. And I just, I don't know. I just, I don't know how it happened, but I caught on really quick to the sport and got really good pretty quickly. And the coaches realized that and they kind of geared me towards um, think, getting in front of recruiters and scouts and things like that. And one of the schools were University of South Florida. And it just happened to be close by. You know, my parents would obviously love that, being staying close. And they recruited me heavy and um, being, I guess, the highlight of the star of Tampa Bay area at that time, I was um, recruited and it was close to home. They also had a, a good, at that time, I was thinking more medical field and, you know, they were, they were, they were very um, high regards in the health field as well. So I was like, okay, this might be a good choice because I was already thinking of going to medicine. So I was like, why not? And so, yeah, I went on a visit, a recruiting visit, and I loved it. And they were playing, they're going to be in the Big East, which is a big, a big conference that would play UConn and Rutgers and uh, DePaul, like all these big names. So I was like, why not? You know, uh, but I knew the challenge was going to be, of course, majoring in a pre-med type major and play basketball at the same time. It never was done before, but I knew that was a challenge and that they were okay with me pursuing that. Mm-hmm. And so I, I made the decision. I said, okay, full scholarship. Why not? Let's do it. Awesome. And for you, those of you that don't know, uh, Dr. Chi was actually like the face of USF basketball. <laughs> no. Like, I would not say that. Billboards, <laughs> commercials, you name no, it. No, he's exaggerating. <laughs> it's like, yeah, I was in grad school with somebody that was... Uh, Famous, famous athlete. Everybody I, knew Dr. I did G. what I can. I did what I could at the time. I did. <laughs> at, at what point did you decide to pursue a career in medicine? That's a hard question to answer. Just because um, with my background, I had the Nigerian background. And for those who kind of know that culture, we were kind of grew up into making sure that we were successful in some way or some form. And I was lucky enough to have both parents who embedded in that success. My father was a physician. My mom went back to school and got her physician assistant degree at UF. So they kind of instilled in me that I wanted to be in the health field. So I had that in back of my mind growing up. But I think it when I made that decision for myself to be a doctor, it happened actually in undergrad when I was going back and forth with what should I do? I don't know if I can do this. This is hard. Um, until I made that decision to take control of this is what I really want to be a physician and knowing the struggles that I saw going on with my family members, as far as their health, it drove me to want to be better knowledgeable in that field. So it happened in undergrad playing basketball. It might've been maybe my junior year when I really made that decision to stick with it. I was already majoring in biomedical science but I was going to change to nursing and I was going to change back to something else that was quote unquote easier. But at the end of the day, I had to make that decision that yes, it will be tough. Yes, it will be challenging, but this is what you're built for. So that's what happened. And how did you juggle that very busy uh, academic course load along with your responsibilities with the basketball team? It was tough. I can say it was definitely tough. I don't know how I did it while I was doing it. 
because, you know, there's demands as an athlete to be in practice, to go to games. Like people don't understand it is a full-time job being an athlete on scholarship. You know, you have the conditioning before the season starts, and then you have the demands of practice during the season and then flying to games over a four-day period while missing classes. It was a whole thing. And I honestly don't know how I did it, but it all came down to time management and how do I how do I manage my time the the most effective way I could? Because I was only given a certain amount of hours in a day to get my homework done, to study for this test. And so I just developed that good management skills in order to get that done while still trying to play my best and get a starting position and fight for that. So it was, it was definitely tough, but it honestly, it built, it built character, it built strength and it was something that I don't think many people know how difficult it is until you're actually in it. But I just give thanks to God. Like I was, you know, faithful. I had my family support, had people that on my corner still rooting for me. And so that helped encourage me to stay positive. Yeah, that's incredible. You know, some of us uh, never really had any idea what uh, goes into being a student athlete. So as you progress through you finish undergrad and then you decided to pursue a master's degree. That's where we both met at USF mm-hmm. there. What went into that decision to pursue that uh, degree? To be honest, um, it was to build my resume. I did not get into med school right off the bat. I had to retake the MCAT multiple times. And I felt the master's program was something I could use to build up my resume, make me a stronger candidate into getting into school. And that was the honest reason why I applied and to get my master's degree, which was beneficial. And then I I ended up applying some more and still was waitlisted in multiple medical schools in the U.S. So I ended up applying to Ross University overseas in Dominica and I got in. And so then I packed my bags and I started med school um, right after my master's program, like uh, semester after that. And uh, yeah, so it was, it was quite a, a journey, not the most smoothest, but it, it, again, built that character, built that strength that I built in undergrad to keep fighting for what I wanted. Because I know I was doing the same, trying to boost my resume and my chance for getting to medical school. And mm-hmm. it was just so stressful trying to perform and, and improve that, uh, that application packet. Yeah, it's stressful times for sure. And they know how to weed out people. Mm-hmm. And so you're kind of stuck in like, what do I do? Do I continue? Is this for me? So it was definitely a tough time, but I'm so happy that we pushed through. And kept fighting. Yes, we did. Look at us now. Look at us now. Um, as you progressed through your training, you came back to USF for residency, correct? I did. What uh, obstacles or roadblocks did you face as a resident physician and even more so being a black female in, uh, in medicine? So in residency... When you start off for pretty much any med student going into residency, you still feel like you don't know anything and you go in with expectations to be a great doctor and that's what you want to be. But in the beginning, you don't feel that way because you don't, again, don't know anything because you haven't been able to apply those skills that you learned in med school into Mm -hmm. real life. And so in the beginning, it's that struggle of, am I going to be great? Am I going to, or am I just going to be mediocre? 
And so it's that challenge of fighting within, within yourself to keep on pursuing what you your dream was because you already made it this far, so you can't go back. So it's that internal struggle to keep going without feeling intimidated and seeing, you know, your seniors who just feel like they know so much and right. you're getting intimidated by them. So that was one of the main challenges in the beginning. But then once you get over that bump, oh my gosh, like the the learning curve just shoots straight up and you just feel like, oh, this is how it's supposed to feel like being a doctor. <laughs> and it feels so amazing. It really does. When did that but happen for you? I would say my second half of my first intern year. It, it, can't, it all started to come together. Like that moment of, oh my gosh, this is, yeah. this is it. I got it. I was inpatient in the hospital and I just ran it. Like I was doing, I didn't need a senior there. I was doing my own thing. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, I was like, don't worry, y'all can go to sleep. I was like on nights, like, you don't worry, I got this. Putting in orders. Like I just felt, it just felt like home. Like I was, I was good. I can handle it. Whatever came, I can handle it. Um, So it was a good confidence booster. But then obviously you don't know everything still. Mm -hmm. It's a roller coaster. Yeah, you still get humbled pretty quickly. Um, So so that was that was that experience. But I would say as a female and being black and also young, Mm -hmm. you're faced with another set of challenges of having to prove yourself as being just as good as your other counterparts. And that is the, I guess, the, the hardest part. And then when you are just as good, you can't mess up. Because if yep. you do, then you're going back to start from ground, ground zero again. You build yourself up again. Because I would notice, like, my colleagues who were white or female, whatever, um, they would get away with a lot of things. It would right. be a slap on the wrist or, like, they would forget it happened. And I would be like what did she almost kill this person right <laughs> and let that you know and i would it'll be it'll be shocking to me or they'll have their tears and they'll be like they'll feel bad for them and i'm sitting here busting my butt for, to prevent all of this from happening type thing. right so i i know i noticed that discrepancy i noticed the differences um it's just one of those things that come with the package and that's the sad truth yeah um, and it, you can't really put a finger on it or like if you if you address it or write it up, then all of a sudden you're being petty. Right. It's like, what are you doing? You know, just stay in your lane and do your job, you know, but you have to, I mean, you, some of the the things you have to recognize and just keep doing what you're doing because although it, it, it kind of sucks that your efforts aren't always going to be recognized, you know, within yourself that you're doing your best job and somebody notices, a patient will notice, somebody will notice. And even if they don't, it's for you. It's for you. You're doing the best that you can. Yeah. How were your interactions with your patient population? With the, in the, in residency mm-hmm. or now? Or well, both. Um, it depends. I, I mean, honestly, because my patient population from, I would say from residency to working now is different. In residency, I dealt with a, a lot of a mixed diversity. Um, and, I, I think they appreciated me a lot, especially during residency. They appreciated what they had. And I, I love that because they came from not much. We had a population without, you know, uninsured, those who needed who needed um, assistance with paying for medications. And those type of patients just really appreciate you because they know that 
you know, you're, what you're doing is genuine. You're just trying to help them out. And I love mm-hmm. that. Um, a lot of it in the clinic, it was a clinic setting. So I, I enjoyed that patient population. Um, now in the clinic or now in the hospital I'm working with, I, I don't know how to explain this, but it's different because either I treat them and I never see them again, or I treat them and they're like one of the ones that keep coming back because of right. either drug overdose, alcohol issues. And so you can't, it's really hard to make an impact when you only see them for a couple of days. And it's just, it's a little bit difficult, I would say, in the hospital to get that long lasting relationship with your patients. So yeah. I would just say it's different. It is, but I appreciate it. I appreciate it in general, but it's just a, a difficult situation at times. And do you have um, interactions infrequently or frequently with your patients that, you know, they're discriminatory against you because you're female or because of your race or your Nigerian heritage? Uh, yes. <laughs> to bluntly say it, yes. doesn't happen all the time, thankfully. But they come in, I, the sprinkles here and there of the, you know, the either discrimination that is very, can be very blunt or it can be unconscious bias. Mm-hmm. And, or, you know, it's things that they purposely say it just to get something out of you to, you know, to stir you up. And it happens. It happens multiple times. I've had even patients or wives of patients that step in and, and feel like they need to make it very known that my color or, you know, my my ethnicity is not welcome or they would call me different names that is not appropriate to be used in this day and age. Um, I've experienced it. It's unfortunate, but I've learned that I had to develop some type of thick skin because it's not going to be the last time it happens. And I have to be able to know how to address it and to um, do it the professional way because there's a very unprofessional way I could choose to do. (laughs) (laughs) But I've learned to be a little bit more professional in this setting where I can't, you know, it can't stir me up. It just can't. Yeah. And I've noticed, you know, through the years, I've had different situations being a black physician, but it's even more exaggerated when I see people interacting with my female colleagues or specifically um, black female colleagues. What can myself and other male physicians and healthcare workers do to support our female colleagues? Hmm, That's a good, that's a very good question. Because I've actually had like, fellow male colleagues <laughs> assume I'm the nurse or the tech. Like they just first assumption, even though, even though I, I look like, like I have my white coat on, like I look like you out like, but that's the first assumption. So that's the one way that, you know, yeah. don't make assumptions. Just ask, Oh, how am I help you? Or what are you here for? Whatever. If you don't know, just don't assume. Mm-hmm. That's number one. <laughs> and if they do notice some type of issue, you know, step up and address it and say something. Because um, when they do see, see a male with authority and power and they are voicing and they're stepping up and saying things, they respect it. For some reason, that's just what it is. Male Males that are a powerful, they people respect your voice a little bit more than the female. And that's just how it, that's just how it is. Um, yeah. 
And I think that can, that should go around like all around for anybody, whether you are a fellow doctor or nurse or tech or whatever. I think it's your job to, when you do see that discrimination or the disparity or whatever it is, it's your job to say something so that person knows that it's not okay to address someone that way. Perfect. Yeah. It's all of our responsibility. Um, So Dr. Chi, over the years, I've definitely noticed, you know, as you've gained more of a presence on social media and even on the the actual media, uh, why and how did you get involved with such big media platforms? So I started actually purposely trying to grow my social media presence maybe about a year and a half ago. I gone through a lot of personal things prior to that. And with me and my spiritual life and just trying to figure out, you know, what am I doing? What's, what's my purpose? I'm trying to dig a little deeper into myself. I found that my voice is very powerful and a lot of people listen to it. And so why not do it some good and use that voice to help people more than I'm doing now and to send a message that will help younger people in my situation. Because I have a story, everyone has a story, and I feel like it's very important to share that story that so the next person knows that what they're going through is okay, what they're mm-hmm. going through is, is you're not alone, what you're going through is something that is normal and you can get through it because this person did. And so I felt that it was my responsibility to just put myself out there, be vulnerable, and so that's when I started to just scroll a little presence on Instagram. I just recently started a presence on YouTube, making more videos now. Um, so definitely a process, but I know that a lot of people that share this space of social media and being quote unquote influencers, they have a job, a responsibility to be more of a positive light and influence because there's so much negativity out there. These young girls, young boys, they see so much on Instagram that is taking them backwards. And I feel like if we can offset that balance and let them see more positive light, uh, physicians, engineers, lawyers, and people doing good, that just maybe that we can change more of this young people's mindset. So I'm just one person. And I feel like if there's more of us doing this positive thing like yourself, um, we can we can make a change, change the world. And I, I strongly believe that. Absolutely. And I definitely think you're doing an amazing job getting out there. You've been featured on, you've been featured on the African diaspora news channel, the root.com, um, quite a few other media outlets. Your website is the Dr. Chi. That's the D R C H I E.com where it links to, all of the incredible things that you're doing that you're getting into these days. You have links to your YouTube channel. What's the name of your YouTube channel? Ask Dr. Chi. In addition to YouTube and Instagram, Facebook, all those social media platforms, you also work with a nonprofit organization, your nonprofit organization called Reality Speaks. I do. Mm -hmm. Can you tell us more about that? Yeah. So as you guys know, or what I spoke about earlier as a former athlete, and a former athlete who was majoring in something that was difficult, biomedical science, and I wanted to be a doctor. But unfortunately, during that time, I didn't have anyone that looked like me or was in the same field as me playing basketball and pursuing something so challenging. And I, I just needed that guidance because I thought it wasn't possible. 
So I found, I founded Reality Speaks um, actually during med school, and it was dedicated to help student athletes succeed after sports. And for those athletes who know being an athlete is like you are one track mind. You don't really think outside the box. You're just focused on playing the basketball or playing football or whatever that sport may be, thinking, one, you're going to go professional, or two, you're just not sure yet. And so Reality Speaks is to basically help them start thinking, you know, now, like, what else are you interested in? What else can you do besides play that sport? Because you have to have a backup. You have to have some type of goal in the future. Mm-hmm. So I kind of help them with, you know, starting resumes, help, help to write your resume, building up, um, if you're, you know, job interview skills, how do we do that? And I also started to have community events. So I would have the student athletes come to these community events where I would have like clothing drives, Christmas toy drives, Thanksgiving dinners, and they would come volunteer at these local events to be in the community. And that would help build up their resumes, resumes as well. And since then, since I started it, it's just, I've just been doing, you know, more community events so much in the, every year. And, and since, I mean, that's just where it started. And I just feel like giving back is something that we all should have some part of that within us. And so that's where Reality Speaks came from. And that's what I'm continuing, hopefully to continue to do for the community because there's always someone in need. And that's just a passion of mine. It's just to give back. So, and it is a five hundred one c three nonprofit organization. Mm-hmm. So people are able to donate to your organization. Absolutely, they can donate whatever their heart desires. So you can go on realityspeaks.org, and there is a donation link there. And I also have an Instagram as well on realityspeaks underscore Inc on Instagram, and you can you know DM if you want to have any contact or want to volunteer or find out what events are coming up. It's just been very difficult with COVID. Um, mm-hmm. So we can do it too many community stuff, but I am having some things in the works to give back. COVID's not going to stop me, not going to stop us. So we're still going to give back some way, some form. Awesome. Dr. Chi, thank you so much for coming on the show. I just want everyone to just stay safe. I know this year, 2020 has been a roller coaster. And just staying strong. I know at the end of this dark tunnel, this light is going to be bright as ever. And we're really going to figure out, we're just really going to appreciate those little things that we didn't before. That's what I truly believe. So I'm actually excited for this, this year to finally just open up and see the blessings that we didn't see before. So staying strong and knowing what your, your purpose is, is and finding that is key. Thanks for the great words of encouragement. Dr. Chi is available for speaking engagements and consulting. Uh, if you weren't inspired by the little speech, that's just a taste. That, that's a preview. <laughs> just a little taste. <laughs> Tell them again, where can we find your videos, find your content? Um, I think you have a blog as well. How can we get a hold of you? Yeah, absolutely. So my main source is Instagram. Uh, you can find me on ask underscore Dr. Chi, D-R-C-H-I. And my website, you can also contact me there as well on thedrchi.com. And lastly, on YouTube, Ask Dr. Chi. So it all kind of comes together, but all my links are kind of linked together. So if you're on Instagram, you can see all my links there um, and on my website as well. So thank you for having me. It was a pleasure talking with you. 
yeah the pleasure was all mine i know our listeners are gonna really enjoy this episode awesome can't wait <laughs> the black doctors podcast is a non-profit volunteer passion project with the goal of inspiring all who listen tune in next week for another episode of the black doctors podcast with dr stephen bradley your friendly neighborhood anesthesiologist